Mark chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 27 all the way through chapter 9, verse 1. Mark chapter 8, verse 27 through 9 to 9 verse 1 as we look at God's word and look forward to sharing together in communion. Mark 8, verse 27 says this. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with the disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the hope of your word, for the truth of what this day and this week means for us as followers of Christ. And Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit, you would just teach us this morning through your word, encourage us, and correct us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It was a big stage. I mean, Jesus came in on a donkey into Jerusalem with lots of people watching it. And, and the, the problem with big stages is big stages can clarify things or they can confuse things. About two weeks ago, the world was uh, shocked by the big stage of the Oscars when some, if you haven't seen it, haven't, someone walked up on the long stage, they walked up to the front, slapped somebody, and the world doesn't know what to do with it. It was, uh, it was a nice not very clarifying. It became very confusing to walk on that stage. And for Jesus to ride into the big stage of Jerusalem, it had a backstory. I mean, to, to be clear about what happened two weeks ago in Hollywood, we would have to know the backstory. There's a backstory that would make that happen. There's always a back story. And to fully understand what happened with today and Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, we, we have to understand and be clear of what the backstory is, what, what it is that he was building, what it is that Jesus came for, what, why he was even on the whole world stage in the first place. It was more than a slap. It was the Savior going to the cross. It was the most important event in history. It's the most important event in your life. See, 
John Stott said, no Christ without the cross, no Christianity without the cross, and no Christian without the cross. Jesus walked on the big stage of Jerusalem, or rode in to the big stage of Jerusalem, always under the shadow of the cross. And he calls us, as we walk into this week, as we walk into the little stages of our lives, to also walk in the shadow of the cross. But how do we live as true Christ followers in our little stages, living under the shadow of the cross? We have to be clear about who Jesus is. We have to be clear on why Jesus came. And we have to be clear on what Jesus commands. And we have to be clear on who we confess. Mark chapter 8 is a pivotal chapter in the book of Mark. It, it changes things. Up to this point in the book of Mark, Jesus is uh, trying and have been showing his disciples that he's a real human. And Mark wrote this to the Christians in Rome, who at this time, they probably, it was one of the first gospels that was written, and, and as they were reading it, they were suffering persecution, and the first half is, is who is this person, Jesus? And Mark is saying he, is a re, he was a real human being. And then Mark chapter 8, it starts out with showing that Jesus cares about people, and then he takes his disciples up into the northern part by Caesarea Philippi to, to show them away from the crowds, because at this point, Jesus had become a, just a very popular speaker and an unbelievable healer. And the, and the crowds had started to follow him. They wanted to know who he was, and people were being around him. So Jesus took his disciples away so they could be clear on who he was. He took them up to uh, Caesarea Philippi, uh, under the uh, near Mount Hermon, and just a beautiful area. But it was farther away than where most people who had been following Jesus were. It was almost like he took his disciples away to this little retreat so he could walk and talk with them because most of Jesus' life was walking and talking with his disciples. He was a real human being. He would walk and he would talk and he would have conversations with his disciples and he was wanting them to be clear of who he was. And in the midst of this conversation that he's having with his disciples, he asks them, who do people say that I am? And they toss out all these things. People think, man, you're a phenomenal healer. You are like uh, Elijah. You are, uh, you're, uh, you're Isaiah. And, and the, he listened. And, and then he asked, but who do you guys say that I am? You've walked with me now for almost three years. We've talked for almost three years. You, you, you know I'm human. But who do you then say that I am. And Peter responds, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. It means anointed one. Peter was speaking for the crowd. He was the leader of the, the group. They were all saying this. To be anointed, they knew as good Jews, that's what they did to kings. That's what they did to prophets. And to be the anointed one, the Christ that had taken on this kingly idea. He was saying that you're the king. You are the king. And Jesus didn't stop him from saying that's right. He just said, don't tell anybody about it. But I because there were so many false messiahs out there, Jesus didn't want them to be confused with who he was because he was about to change their worlds and rock their minds. But Peter was very clear of who Jesus was. He says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the King. We have to be clear 
on who Jesus is. Have you ever wrestled well and long enough and walked with Jesus to really wrestle in your own heart and mind with the question, who Jesus is? Are you clear about who Jesus is? Have you personally wrestled with it and walked with it and considered it? Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. We've got to be clear on who Jesus is, and we have to be clear on why Jesus came. Right after he said, don't talk, then he says, and then it says in verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus was very clear who he was. And he was very clear on why he came. It says he began to do this. This was, uh, he, he expressed to them and he made this connection that nobody had ever made before. He said that the son of man must come and must suffer. And the son of man was Jesus' favorite name for himself. That's how he referred to himself often, which came, comes from Daniel chapter seven, which talks about this, the son of man would come. And it was this, the picture of this Messiah. And nobody connected in the Old Testament, the Son of Man to the Messiah with suffering. Nobody ever did. Nobody assumed that the, they assumed the Messiah was going to come. He was going to deliver Israel. He was going to rescue them. He was going to set things right for them. There wasn't going to be any suffering because they'd suffered enough. They, they had never connected Isaiah 53 with the suffering of Jesus. Jesus then comes in and says, you're right, I'm the king. I'm the Messiah, I am the anointed one, but let me be very clear why I came. I came to suffer. I came to suffer, and he wants them to know it. He said he began to do it, which means he kept telling them over and over again. Three more times in the Gospel of Mark, it says very clearly that Jesus told them what was going to happen as he entered and headed towards Jerusalem. He said, this is what's going to happen, and then he says, the Son of Man must suffer these things. And he told it to them plainly, and he said this plainly. I mean, they got what Jesus was saying, and Peter didn't like it. As soon as he heard it, this guy who just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, Peter stands up and says, that's not going to happen. You're not supposed to do this. And Jesus rebuked them, because they knew what a cross was. Jesus came to go to the cross. He said he must suffering. He must suffer. The, the, the cross, in that time, if you would have said the word, no one would have been confused about what you're talking about. If you would have seen a man carrying a beam across his shoulders, headed to outside the city, no one would have asked him, what, what, what is that guy? Why is he doing that? They, they would have known that that guy was heading to suffering. He was a reject. It was time for his death. This is what Jesus knew about himself and why he came. He came for suffering, for rejection, for death, and for resurrection. He must suffer, he said. Why was the cross necessary? Why is the cross Necessary. It's necessary because the Bible says sin, because of the hostility of man against God. When Jesus went to Jerusalem, he goes to the cross. The ones he said that were going to kill him, 
and make him suffer. So it was the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. This was the cream of the crop. These were supposed to be the good guys. These were the guys who were supposed to be living life correctly, obeying the rules, doing things fairly and justly. And Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and the ones who are going to kill me are the ones who are the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, all the ones who have the power, all the ones that you look up to, all the ones that you guys aspire to be. That's the ones that are going to kill me, the hostility of men. The Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. It's sin that is the reason that the cross came. None of us are innocent before God. Our sin caused Jesus to go to the cross. It was our hostility against God. We don't seek God. We have no desire for God left to ourselves. We reject God even in our best. We are hostile to God. The cross is necessary because of our sin. The cross is necessary because Jesus has unbelievable love for us. He, he, he went willingly to the cross. He didn't, wasn't forced to go, the Bible says. He, he had such great love for sinners who had hostility against him that he went to the cross for you. The cross is necessary because of sin. The cross is necessary because of Jesus' unbelievable love for us. And the cross is necessary to secure our forgiveness. I mean, there's a real offense that took place between us and God, between you and God. There's real hostility. You say, I like God, I like Jesus. But there's a real offense. Something has to be done with that offense. Something had to be done. If your neighbor knocks over your fence, you have a choice to run over to his house and say, pick your fence up and fix it. Or you can say, I forgive you, and I'll fix it. But somebody's got to pay for the new fence. There's a real cost that's got to be paid. And the Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. But the idea is not that just blood has to shed. Without the shedding of blood, they would have understood that to be without, without the shedding of someone's blood in a time that was not natural. Was a violent type of death had to take place. Somebody had to die to cover the expense of the sin. The cross was necessary because of our sin. The cross is necessary because of Jesus' love. And the cross is necessary because it would secure our forgiveness. When Jesus died... He was killed by the cream of the crop. The best that humans had to offer were the ones that killed Jesus. One scholar said it this way, when Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, he won through losing. He achieved our forgiveness on the cross by turning the values of the world on their head. He did not fight fire with fire. He didn't come and raise an army in order to put down the latest corrupt regime. He didn't take power. He gave it up, and yet he triumphed on the cross. Then the world's misuse and glorification of power was exposed for what it is and defeated. The spell of the world's system was broken. The world's system is broken. We couldn't get to God on our own. We couldn't be the best we could be and still have God say, you, I, I, you're accepted. There's a real offense. There's a real hostility. And Jesus came on the cross and he wiped that all off. He, he, he exposed the false systems of the world. And he said, they're not, they're not enough. 
And we need to be very clear on why Jesus came, who he was, and we need to find the truth so that we can be secure, so that we can have that hope. So we need to be very clear on what Jesus commanded. Peter heard Jesus say that. He, he heard him explain it very plainly. This is what's going to happen to me. And Peter didn't like it. And it caused confusion. And it caused a confrontation in Peter that he rose up and he said to Jesus, that, that's not right because I thought I was following you to make things right. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. This isn't going to be good for me because if you die, that's, that's not good. They're going to take me down too. And he, he rose up against Jesus to rebuke him. And the word that they is used to rebuke is the same word that Jesus used when he would rebuke demons. And so Peter comes to Jesus and rebukes Jesus like he's rebuking a demon. And Jesus shoots back and says, out of my way, Satan. And he rebukes Peter just like he would rebuke a demon. And he says, you are not looking at things from God's point of view, but from man's point of view. Peter said, no, Jesus. And Jesus said, it's not the way it works. Have you ever said no to Jesus? Are you saying no to Jesus? We are called to live under the words of God, not over them. Peter heard the words of God, and he didn't like it. He wanted to live on top of it. He wanted to do it his way. And God said, that's not how it can go. I'm the king. You have to live under my words. We got to be clear, very, very clear on what Jesus commands. And then Jesus saw the other disciples watching this. And they must have agreed with Peter. And he he says in calling the crowd around him, Jesus saw the scene. He realized uh, he had great emotional intelligence. He saw that everybody else was watching this. So he calls everybody around. He says, and he calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. Jesus then gives very clear conditions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What does following Jesus really mean? So slow down as you walk through this week and make sure you're very clear on the conditions of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus was very clear. He he, he says, if you want to come and follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, following me. Follow while following me. And following me, being denying yourself and taking up your cross. Jesus is extremely clear to what it means to, let, to be a follower of Christ. Being a follower of Christ is not just adding Jesus to your life. It's something that's just going to help you out. When nothing else is working, I'll, I'll put Jesus in there too. Or I got these other things that are helping me, so then I'll just put Jesus in here. That's not being a follower of Jesus. That's just taking Jesus on. Jesus is supposed to count the cost, and he gives reasons. He, he explains it. I mean, Jesus is unbelievably clear. He's loving, so he's very clear. Because this is what I want you to know. If you want to follow me, this is what it means to follow me. So he says what it is, and then he says, he uses the word for and explains it because he wants you to know. 
God wants you to think about your life. He wants you to think about him. And he wants you to be very clear which direction your life is going and who you are following. So he says, if you want to follow me, here's the two requirements. One, deny yourself and take up your cross. To deny yourself is to cease to make self the object of your life. Jesus says, if you're going to be a follower of me, you have to deny yourself. You have to change how you live and view life because naturally left to ourselves, all of us think about ourselves. Well, we think about our problems, our issues, what's going on with us. We've got to get things done. We've got to keep moving. And we just plow right over people because we are naturally thinking about ourselves. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. There's, there's, we've got to turn away from the idolatry of self-centeredness. We're, we're consumed with it. And he explains what it looks like. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its, his soul? Which Jesus said, listen, if you're going to follow me, you've you got to deny yourself, which means you've got to change how you live life and change how you view life. All of us, left to ourselves, we're all about stuff. We're about status. We're about being seen, and we want satisfaction. That is how we naturally live life. It's like we, we, we grow up and we find out you're supposed to collect stuff because that's what humans do to make your life more comfortable. So you get some stuff. And then you find out that the more stuff you have, people think you're something. So that gives you some status. And then you get old and people start seeing you. And you have a lot of stuff and you've lost your status and you just are lonely. And you're like, I want to be seen. And you want satisfaction. That's the natural way we look at life. And Jesus says, if you look at life that way and want to continue to look at life that way, you're not a follower of me. You have to deny yourself those things. The word self that Jesus uses is the word psyche, where we get psychology, where we get our identity. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to find your identity in me. Find why you collect stuff in me. Find why you have status in me. Find why you want to be seen in me. Find your satisfaction in me. Denying ourselves means we've got to be very careful in what we chase. What are you chasing? Because if you're chasing something besides Jesus more than Jesus, Jesus himself said, you're not really a follower of me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German theologian who was in World War II, was actually hung yesterday by Germans, by, in, by Germany, the Germans. The anniversary of that was yesterday. And he was the one that said in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, when God calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, which is death. The Romans had mastered how to kill people. It was, the, it was the most gruesome way to die. And Jesus is telling these guys who understand very well what the cross meant to deny yourself and pick up the cross more and die. And Luke said, die daily to yourself. It's death that we are called to. 
It's death to these desires of our just us and what we want and putting ourselves first. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, die. Look at your life that way. Because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? I was in the chapel at the hospital this week with a family dealing with the issues of death. And the doctor came in to talk to them. And the doctor himself said, here's the situation. It's, it's not good. And medicine has come a long way. We can keep things going. We can keep the heart beating. We can keep the brain doing something. But you have to ask yourself, is that life? And the doctor said, because life is the soul. And he's right. What is your life? Deny yourself, take up your cross. It's a death to ourselves that Jesus calls us to. It's saying goodbye. John Murray was a Westminster theologian and professor in part of World War I, actually. He had three other brothers, and all of them were called. He was living, they lived in the northern part of Scotland, very small towns. Everybody knew everybody's business. In World War I, almost every boy in that town got called to war, and just towns were decimated. Boys never came home. And John went, his brother Donald went, his other brother went, and then his younger, youngest brother Tommy went. There was an eyewitness at the bus station, or at the train station when Tommy went, and they, they saw it and they wrote it down and they put it in his biography. His biography. When, when Tommy's dad said to his son as he got on the train to go to World War I, he put his arm around his son and he hugged him and he braced him, embraced him. And he said, goodbye, Tommy. I will never see you again. And he didn't. Tommy went off to war, and Tommy died. And the person that viewed that, they said they'd never seen a scene like that. The father looked at his son, said goodbye, and said, I'll never see you again. And he didn't. And when Jesus says to us, take up your cross and deny yourself, it doesn't mean putting yourself down in a way and sending it off for vacation. It's saying to your old self, goodbye, I'll never see you again. Because what I want is Jesus. This is what it means to follow Jesus, deny yourself and take up your cross. This is why Jim Elliott, who was killed in Ecuador in the 50s when they, from Wheaton College, and they opened up his journal and read what he wrote, and his life looked like a waste, humanly speaking, in his 20s. Didn't even accomplish anything, really. And they opened up his journal, and he wrote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, then we have to be very clear, not only on what it means that Jesus commands of us to be followers of him. We have to be very clear on who we confess. Because this is a daily reality for us if you're a follower of Jesus. We have to be very clear on who we confess. This is Jesus saying, this is what I'm demanding of you, but how is it possible? So we've got to consider your resource. 
in that is Jesus. The one that gives us the strength to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him is Jesus. It's Jesus. This is what we celebrate. It's Jesus who said, I know you can't do it on your own. That's why I'm here. But I, I want you to see the need to die to that self and see the need for me because Jesus was the, was the one who went to the cross with joy, it says in Hebrews. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And it says, consider him. Be clear. I mean, who are you confessing? Who has first place in your life? All those things aren't bad if they're second or third or fourth, as long as Jesus is number one is what Jesus says. Because none of it else matters unless Jesus is number one. Because if Jesus is not number one at the end of time, you won't have your stuff. You won't have satisfaction. You'll be eternally separated from God. And the Bible calls that real hell for those who don't follow Jesus. So consider the resource, which is Jesus, and we come to Jesus. There's an old song we used to sing when I was growing up, which had the chorus, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. It fills my every longing. It keeps me singing as I go. You might not cry when you hear that, but is that the course of your life that Jesus, hey, at the end of the day, it's Jesus. I'm working hard. I'm doing what I'm doing to do. I'm raising my kids. I'm working on this marriage. I'm doing these things. But at the core of your life, you're saying, you know what? Honestly, it's still, it's Jesus. It, it could all go away. Just don't take Jesus. Be clear on who you confess. Consider the resource, the one who helps us to confess that is Jesus. And we won't taste Death, it says. He says all these things, and he says these odd things. Forever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation. Of, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of heaven. Then he says, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death if they're resting in Jesus. What he meant was, I believe, not that they wouldn't die, but they, they would see what took place after Jesus rose. The Holy Spirit came, the church exploded, they saw the power of God on earth, and then we will continue to see it. We have Christ in us. Are you clear on who you're confessing? Consider the resource to help you. It's Jesus, and then consider your place. What's interesting about the stage in Mark, when, the, when they, Jesus walks in, he rides the colt, everybody's singing Hosanna, 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 and verse 11, which Ruthie didn't read, it, it says, then it just kind of goes away. And Jesus is just kind of left to himself. It says, walking in the temple at night, looking around by himself. Who's your resource? Who are you confessing? Are you a follower of Jesus? Or are you just part of this flash mob? It was fun for the day. It was fun for a few years. It got you through some struggles. But you don't really fully need Jesus. You're just a fan of Jesus, not really a follower of him. Consider your place. And then as we walk into this holy week, consider fully Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Take the rest of Mark this week and just read it. Just read who Jesus is. Look at his life. Look and consider Jesus. And write these words down. The greatest is the servant. 
and spend all the rest of this week. This is who Jesus was. The greatest became the servant for us, for the world. And consider what, what would that mean? What does that mean to you? How, how if you think about who Jesus is this week, that the greatest was the servant, how will that change how you respond and think about life and what God could do in your life and then commit to give your life away for the gospel? Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is extremely clear. He's not just saying, hey, whoever gives up their life and takes God into their life and then makes God whoever they want to be, that's good. No, Jesus says, whoever wants to follow me takes Jesus and the gospel, which the gospel is that Jesus came, he lived, he died on the cross, and he rose again the third day. It's Jesus Christ alone who is our hope for eternity. Cling and consider Jesus. Lose your life so that you can find it. C.S. Lewis, who will watch his story on Wednesday in his book, Mere Christianity, he closes the book with this. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will, be, will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. As you walk into this week, are you following Jesus? And do you want to follow Jesus? And if you do, just follow him. Look to Jesus and live.